Hello, and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman in her vital role in shaping society. I'm one of your hosts, Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum, and I'm joined by our executive director, Kirsten Hassler. Hi, everyone. We are tackling a huge issue today, immigration. And we are constantly hearing about the crisis at the border with a massive influx of immigrants flooding over and crammed in small facilities, even people losing their lives to try to become American citizens. That's the tip of the iceberg, though, when it comes to immigration. That's why we are bringing on Rosemary Jenks to help us understand this a little bit better. I'm particularly excited to have Rosemary on because she is one of my favorite people in DC. (laughs) And from what I hear, she was one of Phyllis Schlafly's favorites too. Um, So let me read a little bit about Rosemary and what she does. Um, Rosemary Jinks is the Director of Government Relations for Numbers USA, a nonprofit immigration reduction organization with more than 9 million members across the United States. Ms. Jinks has worked on immigration issues since 1990, and prior to her work with Numbers USA, she spent two years as an independent immigration consultant providing research and legislative analysis to immigration reform organizations across the country. Then before that, she was the director of policy analysis at the Center for Immigration Studies, a Washington, D.C.-based immigration think tank. She has testified before both the House and Senate immigration subcommittees on several occasions, before the bipartisan Jordan Commission on Immigration Reform, and before numerous state legislative bodies. She has given lectures on immigration issues at several universities, and she has written articles for a variety of magazines and journals. Um, she is all, she's constantly giving statements and writing things for news outlets so you can find her out there pretty frequently. Ms. Jinks received her JD with honors from Harvard Law School and a BA in political science from the Colorado College. And she is a member of the Virginia State Bar. Welcome to the podcast, Rosemary. Thank you both. It's great to be with you. So let's get to know you just a little bit better. How did your path lead to working on immigration issues? You know, it's funny because I really just kind of fell into it. Um, After college in Colorado, I decided I was going to move to Washington and just loaded up a U-Haul and drove to D.C. and started applying for jobs that were in the newspaper. And the first interview I actually went to was a little tiny organization that dealt with immigration issues. And so I took that job and I worked there for long enough to meet the former director of the Center for Immigration Studies, the director at that time, and asked him for a job. And so I pretty much immediately just started working at the Center for Immigration Studies. And it was a little bit weird because my mother was a legal immigrant from Australia. And, you know, I spent my childhood making fun of her for being an alien. We just thought that was hysterical. Um, But, you know, immigration had never really crossed my mind. I hadn't given it any thought until, you know, that first job. And I started thinking, wow, this is, this has like a major impact on the country. And so I just kind of got sucked into it. And now I don't think I could even talk about anything else. (laughs) Yeah, um, we've spent some, or at least I've spent some time in your office and um, you are one of the 
the few people we can trust in DC on the immigration issue. So we certainly appreciate your expertise on that. We just love working with Eagle Forum. And I have to tell you, I miss Phyllis so much. She is just such a treasure. And I, I remember telling my mother the first time Phyllis asked me to do a training session um, for her lobbyists. And so I, I called my mother and I said, you're never gonna believe this. Phyllis Schlafly wants me to train her people. <laughs> and my mother burst into tears. Aww. She was like so excited. So it was just, it was wonderful. Phyllis was just such a treasure. Mm -hmm. That's a sweet story. And when Phyllis asks you to do something, you do it. <laughs> well, Phyllis didn't really ask because yeah, right. told you what you would be doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is a burning question out there that we have to know. Is Numbers USA anti-immigration? <laughs> no, Numbers USA is not anti-immigration. Numbers USA believes that America's immigration policy should put American workers first. So if we have sectors of the economy where we don't have enough workers, we should bring them in. If we, uh, you know, we should always bring in spouses and minor children. You know, family unity is important, um, but there is no reason for us to be importing mass poverty which is what our immigration system does now. And we're seeing that at the border uh, under the Biden administration, where they're just letting people in with very low education levels, very low skill levels, who don't speak English and you know who are going to compete with poor Americans for jobs. So that's our real issue. We want the numbers reduced so that American workers don't have to compete with foreign workers who are willing to be paid less. Um, and you know, it, it, if you, start out with the viewpoint that all of our policies should be set with Americans first in mind, it's not that difficult. You know, you can come up with a rational immigration policy that serves our national interest. Right. Yeah. And, and really, before we take a deep dive into these issues, we should probably make a distinction between immigrants who are coming over the Mexico-U.S. border illegally versus those who obtain visas. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between those two options and what problems we're facing with both? Well, our legal immigration system um, for the past decade or so, we have been admitting about 1.1, 1.2 million legal immigrants each year. And those are people who get green cards and so are lawful permanent residents. They, you know, we've basically invited them to come here and live here permanently. Um, that flow is divided into a few categories. It's the uh, immediate relatives of U.S. citizens, which is spouses, minor children, and parents, and then family-based or family-sponsored immigration, which is the extended relatives along like siblings and, and um, of adult Americans and married adult children and unmarried adult children and so on. And then we have an employment-based system. Um, that is tiered for different skill levels. And then we have basically humanitarian, like refugees and asylees. Once they get green cards, they're counted in that number. And then we have a visa lottery, which um, is just a brilliant thing to put in an immigration system where we randomly select 55,000 visas per year to hand out to people from countries that we think have not sent enough immigrants in the past five years. So 
that's basically the legal system. Um, it has expanded from around uh, half a million four decades ago, probably, to over a million now, just because of the, there are some categories that are capped and there are some categories that are not capped and the categories that are not capped continue to increase every year. Um, so that is a, a you know, a million, 1.1, 1.2 million people per year is a lot of people. And remember, all of those people are going to want jobs. They're, you know, they're coming here primarily to work, whether they're coming as family-based or employment-based or whatever, they're coming here for work. Um, then we have a whole guest worker system that has visas that we letter the visas. So they're uh, non-immigrant A, B, C, D, all the way through W. So we have a lot of non-immigrant programs and a non-immigrant is the person who's admitted for a temporary period to do a specific thing, whether it's an H-1B worker who is given three to six years to come in and compete with US tech workers or an H-2A worker who is an agricultural worker. Um, and we don't know for sure how many of the temporary workers are in the country at any given time because nobody reports those statistics, but the guesstimates are that there are roughly 700,000 or so here at any time. Then we have illegal immigration. And there are two kinds of illegal immigration. The first is what you're seeing at the southern border with people just crossing the border and either turning themselves in or evading capture and being released into the country. Um, and then we also have visa overstays. So all of those non-immigrant visas when the people get here, whether they're you know workers or tourists or whatever, and they decide they don't wanna go home when their visa expires, they're called visa overstays. And it's estimated that about half of the illegal population that is resident in the country is from visa overstayers, and the other half is from illegal border crossers. How do you keep that all straight in your head? <laughs> I've been doing this for a really, really long time. <laughs> I always get confused by the lettering and so thank god you you guys put stuff out because I'm like is this uh h1b h2b visa I don't know and so and and a lot of times when when legislation is written it's written specifically for one category or a handful of categories and so it can get really confusing really fast Yes, but, there's nothing worse than having to read immigration legislation or really any legislation. I mean, they're all pretty bad, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, on that, on the visa front, there are multiple programs that allow immigrants to stay in the US, you know, for various reasons and various lengths of time, like you said. And one of those that has gotten a lot of popularity is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program or DACA. Now this was even voted on in the house recently. Can you talk about that program and the problems that we're facing with that one? So DACA is not actually a category that is in the law. DACA was created out of whole cloth by President Obama, despite having said multiple times that he was not the king, he was not the, you know, he didn't have the authority to do that. He did it anyway. So he created through a memo um, the, a program that would give a pretend status to people who supposedly were brought here by their parents as children 
um, and, you know, through no fault of their own and all of that. And they would have to uh, apply for this status, basically, that's not really a status that protects them against deportation and gives them a work permit and social security number and, you know, access to the benefits that flow from that um, and driver's licenses and so on. So what the, the, that program has not been codified. What the house voted on last week is something much larger than that. Approximately 700,000 aliens applied for and got DACA under Obama and then under Trump. Uh, and it's continuing today, thanks to the courts. But um, what the House voted on is much bigger. It's the so-called dreamer population that they wanna give amnesty to, and not just a fake status and a work permit. They wanna give a green card with the full path to citizenship basically instantly. Um, so that population is estimated to be about 2.9 million people who are said to, you know, that, that they would have been eligible for DACA, but for some random things. But the, the additional thing that they put in that bill that was HR6 that was voted on last week is amnesty, meaning green cards, legal status, the whole deal for people with temporary protected status. Now, temporary protected status is supposed to be obviously temporary and given to people who are here in the country when there's some kind of natural disaster or civil unrest in their home country so that we can't expect them to go home for some temporary period of time until the situation is fixed. Um, unfortunately, it's never temporary. And now, of course, the Democrats in the House want to give them all green cards and admit them permanently. So that was one part of what they voted on, one one of the bills that they voted on in the House last week. Mm -hmm. We, I mean, we've said multiple times on this podcast when we we've talked about immigration that um, these are um, packaged as a, a one size fits all plan, and um, while maybe there were good intentions, for instance, with the temporary protected status, um, while there were good intentions at first. These are um, people from various countries and um, should be handled on a case-by-case basis. And so I, allowing sweeping amnesty for um, all cases just doesn't make sense. Well, not only does it not make sense, but it actually encourages exactly what we're seeing on the border right now. You know, one of the biggest problems that the Biden administration has is the so-called unaccompanied alien children because you know, Congress has been talking for years about DACA and Dreamers and giving them amnesty. And so the message, you know, the message that goes back to foreign countries isn't always exactly right. It's not, you know, I mean, under DACA, you had to have been here by a certain date. You couldn't just come in tomorrow and apply. So the message gets muddled, but the, the clear message is and was children will get in. You know, children will be allowed in. And so children are coming, which means that children are being put in the care of cartels who smuggle them here and you know, oftentimes sexually assault them, physically assault them. You know, it, it's just a, a disastrous message to be sending and it results in exactly what we're seeing at the border right now. 
Right. It's so sad. There really is clearly a crisis right now at the southern border. And it's so bad that President Biden recently told immigrants to stop coming over. That's hard to do when he's also offering proposals to grant amnesty to individuals and refusing to deport them. Biden is saying that he inherited this from President Trump. So what do you see are the biggest differences already between the two different presidential administrations? Well, I mean, the very first thing that Biden did when he got into office was go through all of President Trump's executive orders and reverse them without thinking about consequences, without caring about consequences. He just reversed all of them because they were Trump policies, including the remain in Mexico policy for asylum seekers, the ban on uh, travel from people by people from terrorist sponsoring countries who present a clear security threat. Um, you know, all of it, he just reversed them because they were Trump policies. The resulting border crisis, he then says is Trump's fault, which is it's just ludicrous. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the numbers of illegal aliens coming across the border started to go up under the Trump administration. And of course we had a, a surge in 2019, which is what, when Trump responded by doing the remain in Mexico policy and you know, trying to get Congress to act, which they never did. Um, but the the fact is that the the most recent spike in numbers, yes, it started under the Trump administration when candidate Biden started promising amnesty and a moratorium on enforcement. There's a direct connection there. It has nothing to do with Trump. You know, Trump actually left Biden the tools he needed to keep the border secure. And Biden completely failed through largely the messaging that, you know, welcome, come on in. I mean, he actually said during, during the campaign, I want them to surge the border when I'm president. And they did. Right. Mm, she's it's crazy. Surprised, I guess. Yeah. Now he has a, he has a comprehensive plan that hasn't went up for a vote yet in Congress. You know, it, it's kind of uh, hypocritical to say don't come across but then offer all of these incentives to actually come across what kind of things in his comprehensive plan are we going to see when that hits the floor well hopefully we will never see that <laughs> um it is the most literally the most radical piece of legislation that i have seen in my however many years it is now 21 26 years in washington um, it is amnesty for every single illegal alien who was in the country as of January 1st of this year. Um, and, you know, how hard would it be to print out a fake rent re receipt that says you were here, you know, in December? Um, it is doubles, more than doubles legal immigration, just like tax on numbers right and left. Um, so basically over the next 10 years, if that were enacted over the next 10 years, we would see an increase of roughly 37 and a half million people. Wow. I mean, that like, that's massive. When you think about current legal immigration, a million a year, so 10 million over 10 years, or just over that 11 million to 37 million people. Wow. is crazy and it only grows from there and that's a conservative estimate that you know doesn't factor in any kind of projections of growth it's just what his actual bill says so i mean it, it's just 
insane and zero enforcement, no enforcement whatsoever. So basically he's giving amnesty to everyone who's here and inviting the next 11, 12, 20 million illegal aliens to come into the country at the same time to prepare for the next amnesty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, and, and we're just beginning to recover the economy after COVID. It, it, it doesn't make sense to have 37 million additional people to, who, who need jobs, including, right. you know, on top of that, Americans who need jobs as well, who lost their jobs during COVID. So yeah, that's, that's insane. And the economy is not going to fare too well if, if that's the case. Well, and, you know, you have to think about what, what is in the minds of the Democrats? I mean, do they really have such disregard for American working people? It's hard to believe, but it's, it, I mean, there's, there's no other explanation that they really do prefer to bring in foreign workers rather than let Americans have jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's just, it really is astonishing the, the complete disregard for the American people. And I mean, who do they think is going to pay the taxes that they're so happy to spend? You no, know? right. it's just nuts. Exactly. There, there obviously are so many facets of this problem and a ton, a ton of differing opinions in Congress. That's the only good thing about this. Right. Well, it's <laughs> good really because <laughs> when a lot of people have differing opinions, it slows things down. That's right. Um, but what do you think um, are the best measures to start fixing this immigration problem? If, if you were in Congress, what would you be proposing? Well, there are a number of things. First of all, the, I think that the legal immigration system needs to be fixed so that, first, I think the numbers need to come down because we don't need 1.1 or 1.2 million new workers coming into the US every year. We need to figure out what our economy actually needs. Plus, you know, the spouses and minor children, obviously of US citizens, any citizen should be able to, to marry whomever he or she wants and, and bring them here if they're from a foreign country. Um, and there should be no restrictions on that unless they're, you know, a terrorist or something. Um, but as far as, as the rest of the system, you know, a merit-based system would make more sense than what we have now. Um, Senator Cotton has introduced the RAISE Act for the last few Congresses that would set up a merit-based system um, and reduce the numbers somewhat. Then on illegal immigration, we have got to get a grip on our asylum system because you can't have people coming to the border and claiming asylum knowing that they're claiming it fraudulently and then releasing them into the United States until a court date that I think at this point, it's like six years before their first court date in wow. many cases. And then they either you know don't show up for the court date or if they do show up and they're denied asylum, they're given a, um, a removal date that they're supposed to show up for. And you know if you're an illegal alien and you've been told to show up to be deported, are you gonna show up? No. And they don't. Right. So, you know, all of that is is just crazy. And one of the biggest solutions, and, and President Trump had this right when he negotiated agreements with Mexico and, and uh, Guatemala and El Salvador and Honduras, we need safe third country agreements so that 
you have to apply for asylum in the first safe country that you get into. So if you're traveling here from Guatemala, you would have to apply for asylum in Mexico. Mexico has an asylum system. Um, and we can help Mexico if it needs to build that out better. You know, we can help there, but we should not have to take in every single person who decides that America is the place to be. I mean, there are millions of people around the world who want to be in America and, you know, it's just not possible. We can't survive as a country if we don't put limits on our immigration system. And that includes asylum. You know, even though we have international agreements in the Geneva Convention and all of that, we still have to have limits. And if we are applying the asylum rules um, strictly, which we should be, then we can take our share of, of asylees and refugees and so on. But the fact is that people are, we're better off and they're better off if we help them closer to where they come from. And this is true of the refugee program too, where we take people from near their home countries. I mean, refugees are supposed to be people who apply from outside of the United States and are brought here. If we helped more people, for example, the you know, Syrian refugees, if we help them in Jordan or in you know, a country near them where it's safe for them, they don't have to fear persecution from the Syrian government, but when the situation in Syria changes, they can go back home rather than bringing them here permanently. And in fact, with the amount of money that we spend on one, bringing one refugee to the United States, we could help dozens in another country. We could provide them with food and shelter and medical care and so on. Uh, so it would be much more cost-effective to help people near where they, where they are than to bring them here. And it wouldn't hurt American workers at the same time. Yeah, and it sounds much more humane as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, Numbers USA puts out a lot of timely emails, just like Eagle Forum does. So we'd love to direct our listeners to over to you guys. Where can they go to follow your efforts? Numbersusa.com is our website. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Parlor and I, mostly Facebook and Twitter. We're not as active on the others yet, um, but at Numbers USA. And we would love to have people come over and see what we do. And um, our whole purpose in life is to make it easy for regular average Americans to contact their members of Congress and let them know how they feel about immigration issues that are coming up. Um, so we make it, we have a system that makes it really easy to just click a button and send an email or, you know, make a phone call or whatever to your member of Congress and let them know how you feel about these amnesty bills and the border surge and so on. Um, so yeah, numbersusa.com. Perfect. And we'll post that, um, information on our social media this week and then in our show notes as well. We know one thing is for sure you will have something to work on for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will not be bored anytime soon. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rosemary, for joining us. Um, if you are listening to our podcast, be sure to subscribe, share with your friends and leave us a review. You can find us on all of the major social media outlets at, and at engagewitheaglefarm.com. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.